We are finishing this series called Can You Relate? Looking at all the strained relationships uh, that have uh, that we've experienced over, especially over this past year, as things have been really difficult and strained. We had an incredible conversation last week on race relations, but we want to finish this morning talking through some, th- uh, talking through what it means to relate to those that we differ with. Now, how many of you, and I need a big, bold, raise your hand. You grew up with siblings that you had some good old-fashioned fights with, right? You like you got your fight on with your siblings, right? That's most. Of, if you had a sibling, you absolutely had some at some point in time some not down drag outs. I had a younger brother, two years younger than me, a younger sister, and my younger brother and I, man, we fought this because, of course, this is what little boys do, and then, of course, we weren't little boys, and we still fought anyway, but, uh, I, and I was actually trying to remember the last, when was the last time that my brother and I fought? Now, he, he lives, he's back in Texas, and we haven't really lived in the same city for a long time, so I was like, I had to really think, and I, I, it, was, it had to have been 20 years ago. 20 years ago, uh, and there was, like, we were kind of jostling for the remote control, (laughs) and we were kind of messing with each other, and then, and this is how this always happens with your siblings. You're just kind of like jostling, (laughs) and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, it's on. You want to do this right now? And we were like full on angry with each other. And there was some shoving and physical interaction. So anyway, uh, this is why, listen, it doesn't take long in life to figure out that you think very differently from the person across from you. This happens in life. We all have differences. We have different ways of thinking. We have different ways of processing life. And that can be a really, really great thing, but that can also be a highly, highly stressful thing. And so what I want to talk about is what does it look like for us to disagree? Because how we disagree with other people says a lot about our faith. How we disagree with other people says a lot about our faith. In fact, I think it says a ton. It is incredibly revealing for us. And so what we want to do is grab the Bible and say, Jesus, what do you have to say? Right? Because let's, if, you're, if we're being honest, you look at the New Testament, the vast majority of the what's called the epistles or the letters that were written to the churches that were growing in Jesus, the vast majority of them, you know what it was? It was an apostle or a church leader, Apostle Paul, or one of the church leaders that was writing and saying, hey, you guys have got to stop with your chaos. The early church was actually fraught with all kinds of differing beliefs, and they were clashing with each other. And Paul was having to write these letters to say, there's a better way forward. Let me help you understand what is right and what is true. He was dealing with all of this kind of infighting and wrong beliefs. And so what we want to do is see God's guiding principles for what is important to him What's important to God and how do we do disagreement? Because when we line ourselves up with the way God thinks, it changes everything. It brings a sense of peace and it brings a sense of comfort. Before we get there, let's be real. We don't like to often do this in church, but let's just be real about all the ways that we disagree or some of the ways. We have the political leanings. We got Democrats and we got Republicans. We got libertarianism. We've got postmodernism. All right, you got social ideologies like critical race theory and Marxism. You've got capitalism and nationalism. 
In the health world, you've got better mask up, you get, or you've got the anti-maskers. You got better get vaccinated, you got the anti-vaxxers. You got natural health versus conventional medicine. You got the Mediterranean diet versus the keto diet. You got, you got psychiatric, uh, the community that has all kinds of different ideas about how to help people through their mental health issue. And then we can go to theologies, right? We got the charismatics and we got the conservatives. And we've got the Calvinists and the Arminians, and we got the premillennials and the postmillennials and the amillennials, and then those of us that are exhausted with that, the panmillennials, it just all pans out in the end, right? But there are a thousand different things that we could possibly have disagreement over, and everything I just described to you are actually those arguments that we have inside of the church, those that would call themselves followers of Jesus that are, or at least espouse to be Christians that have these differing ways of viewing the world. And then on top of that, as Christians or as followers of Jesus, there are natural differences that we have with those that come from different belief or different faith systems, Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, atheists, and the list goes on and on. And so we have both of these places where there's disagreements in the church and then there's disagreements with those that are not a part of Jesus's church. And we have to begin to ask the question, if we have all of these deeply differing belief systems, then Lord, what is our guiding principle? How do we do this? How do we handle these current differing positions and beliefs? It's important for us to know this because I believe what we're going to see from the word of God is that the church is meant to be on the forefront of leading out in this. In an hour where everything's been heightened and just as sure as I spoke of some of those ways of thinking, we all land in different positions, just even here in this room, you guys that are joining us online. We're all standing in all of these different positions. It's so important for us to see vision for how we do this thing well. I want you to grab your Bibles and I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter nine. We're just gonna go to the word, ask the Lord to show us, and then we're gonna ask him to give us grace to do it. 1 Corinthians chapter nine. If you don't have a Bible under the chair in front of you, you should be able to find, find one. You guys that are joining us at home, be sure to grab a Bible so you can see the word of God for yourself. Let me set this up. The church in Corinth is a mess. I mean a mess. This letter's being written by the Apostle Paul to the church because there is so much infighting. There are so many differing ways of seeing uh, what it means or to be a follower of Jesus. And they're going back and forth and there's corruption and there's sin and there's wrong ways of thinking, and there's wrong ways of treating each other, and there's this clashing that's going. And Paul is trying to outline this new freedom that we have in Christ, this new way of seeing life, a new way of operating that for those that are in Christ, we're set free from all of the broken laws and rules that sat on top of us. And we have this new law that called the law of Christ that is setting us free. And he's outlining these new freedoms, but he makes this summary statement about this new freedom in Christ that he has and how it relates to other people. And I want you to see what he says. First Corinthians chapter nine, we're gonna start in verse 19. Here's what he says. For though 
I'm free from all. I've made myself a servant to all. In fact, yeah, the, the, the word here is actually a slave or a bondservant. Though I've been made free, what I'm doing is I make myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. He recognizes he's got this freedom, but he said, when I'm, when I'm with those that have been under the law, what I want to do is I want to put myself in there with them because I want to see them come along on this journey that I might win those under the law. Verse 21, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So he's saying, listen, I'm totally bound to Jesus but I want to see that those that are outside the law are one, finishing verse 21. Verse 22, now listen to this. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. That become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Church, hear this. Our mission in every disagreement and in every conversation is to build bridges for people to know the Son of God. This is the guiding principle in every situation, in every circumstance. Paul is literally orienting his life to make sure that whoever he is interacting with, whoever he's coming in front of, whoever he's sitting down and speaking with, and all the different beliefs that they may have, what he's doing is positioning himself so that they might know Jesus. This is the aim. This is the call. This is the trajectory of our lives. And he's often coming from their perspective. He's not throttling people with his ideas, but he's starting from their ideas. In fact, we'll see throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament, he's building bridges over and over and over again. In my, in my regular reading plan, I've been reading through Acts. I actually just finished up reading through Acts. And we get to see these, literally what Paul is doing. And you see in Acts chapter 17, he's in Athens. You know what he's doing? He goes and he reasons and he has conversations. Acts chapter 18, he goes to Corinth. You know what he's doing? He reasons and he's having conversations. Acts chapter 24, he's been arrested in Jerusalem and the leaders are asking questions. And you know what he does? He reasons and he asks questions. Over and over and over again, what you'll see Paul doing is I'm just willing to enter into a conversation. But what I want to do is this. I want people to see Jesus. I want people to see Jesus. And when the heat is turned up, we have to decide what's most important in this life. Being right or building bridges. Being right or building bridges. And you know this is true because you had to do this dance for those of you that have been married before, right? It's like, you can be right and be totally wrong. Or you can build bridges and seek for reconciliation. And this is true. You don't even have to be married. You can have roommates or kids or whatever the relationship is. We can seek to be right or we can seek to build 
bridges. Now, listen, are there times in which we're supposed to stand up for the truth? I would say not only yes, but heck yes, all right? We always stand for the truth, church. We don't ever devalue the truth, ever, ever, ever. We never, we always stand for the truth. When Paul was facing accusations, he had brothers and sisters that were coming and standing and saying, we, we ask for justice. It's right to ask for the things that are true. But you better be sure that the truth you're standing for is deeply rooted in God's heart and his word, and it's not a political or ideological leaning that you have. Because those are not the same thing. As much as we would love to believe that it is, and I recognize that I'm stepping on toes here at this point. But if your truth is rooted in a political ideology, it's time to go back and ask the fundamental question, God, what is your heart first? What is your heart first? And two, how we stand up for truth will define whether we're building bridges or burning them down. Meaning there is a tone and an attitude the Bible's calling all of us to. Church, we gotta be leading in having conversations. The church should be on the forefront. Whatever chaos is happening in whatever culture is going on across the earth, the church should be the ones that's leading and helping facilitate the conversation. How we do disagreement is important. How we stand for truth, the manner in which we do it, defines the possibility for the gospel to go forward. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter four, verse one. I therefore, this is Paul writing again to the Ephesian church, a prisoner for the Lord. I'm urging you, by the way, this is speaking to the believers. It says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So what does that mean? How do we walk in this worthy calling? With all humility and gentleness. Just, just for clarity, that, that just, that's not translated ranting on social media. It's just, just the Greek doesn't say that at all. It just means humility and gentleness. Just weird. With patience. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and there's one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith. One baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The way we stand for truth, we don't ever back down from truth, but the way that we do it is with humility and gentleness. Philippians 2 says, we don't look only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among you, which is yours in Christ, that who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Humility, 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 
and serving is the way forward. If we want to see people's hearts and minds changed towards the things that are true or the truth of God's word, it's with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, with each other in love. We walk with patience. Not the most fun thing to do, not the easiest thing to do, but patience is the way forward. We bear with one another in love. And why does he give us this instruction? Because guess what? We'll all be learning and we'll all be growing until we all see Jesus face to face. And I hope and I pray that we would be a church that understands we are growing. We've not arrived. And we often act as though we've arrived and we've got it all figured out when the truth is, is this position of humility and patience is Jesus's call on our lives. Moving towards maturity. And we, we get to understand this, that as we come together, look, look, I'm just looking at the people in this room. I know you guys joining us online, a powerfully beautiful and diverse people, all kinds of different gifts, all kinds of different ways of thinking. We can be threatened by that or we can enter into this thing. Because listen, unity does not mean uniformity. You'd be under, understand this is an important thing for us to, as Jesus is bringing us to this place of unity, he's calling us up in Ephesians saying, be unified in the spirit, in the bond of peace. It doesn't mean uniformity. Listen, the body of Christ is not meant to be a robot. Jesus is not coming back for a robot. Jesus is coming back for an incredible bride, a people that are unique and different. They all, in fact, Paul talks about it um, a couple of chapters later in, in chapter 12. And he says, listen, every one of us gets to play a different part. We have to play you these unique parts. Some, some are an eye, some are an ear. So some are hands and feet. These are all beautiful positions. We all get to be different. So we get to be unified. We don't have to try to become the same person. Thing is, it's awesome. My kids the other day were, they were, they, um, in fact, I was, I think my daughter, she's like, what do you love, what do you love most about mom? Like, like how she looks. And I was like, and this is, this is, this is long, long standing, but I was like, she has a perfect nose. It's amazing. I love her nose. And I, that's totally embarrassing. And I should do that on Mother's Day. But I've often joked, I'm like, you have the perfect nose. I mean, the rest of us going around, like, you know, we just got to try to make it happen. But your nose is amazing, right? And my, and my kids were like, is, that's a little weird, Dad. And I was like, well, don't ask that question. All right. So, hey, but you know what? Why don't you, hey, we are all playing this beautiful part. All right. And the part that you play is absolutely beautiful and perfect. And you might be a nose and you might be an ear and you might be an elbow and I don't really know. It doesn't really matter. The, the, the point is of this is he's saying, are you willing to be in unity and not have to command or demand uniformity? And I think the church has missed this a little bit. I think it's a question that we have to begin to ask of, of ourselves. That unity doesn't mean perfect agreement on all matters. But what it does mean is that we'll first seek to build bridges so that our faith can grow and someone else's can as well. When we, bicker, when we bicker in toxic anger and lash out, we're pointing people to a God that is not like that. Please hear this. 
God's not lashing out right now. Okay? God isn't scared of someone's politics. He's not scared or worried about broken social or political ideologies. What God wants them to know, what God wants all people to know, is that any ideology on this earth that can be espoused across the globe, there's only one thing that will save, and it is knowing his son. This is what the father wants us to know. It's time for us to start looking past all the surface issues to get down to the thing that's actually important, getting into people's hearts and minds. Because you need to hear this. We are not in a holy war against another political party. Listen to me. We're in a holy war against demonic powers and strongholds and everything that raises itself up against the knowledge of Jesus. We can seek to vilify all the political and and all the social ideologies out there. We can rail against them. But let me tell you what God really cares about are people's hearts. Do they know his son? Because listen, there's one truth and one faith and one creed and one thing that we get to anchor down in. And this, this is true forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Acts chapter four, Jesus is the stone that was rejected, which became the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the one thing we're standing on. This is the one thing that matters. All of the arguments are actually meant to help us, lead us to a conversation to help people know and love and treasure Jesus. The way that Jesus puts it in his own words is he says, I'm the way and the truth and the life and no one's coming to the Father except through me. Which means this, the most important thing about you is introducing people to the Son of God. The most important thing about me, the most important thing about us And so this battle is done on our knees before the Father through the Spirit. It's battles against principalities. It's often not done very well on social media. And I'm not saying, and listen, social media can be a great tool, but that's, but it can also be really, a really horrible place to inflame and make and bring hate. And so I want to say this, we'll finish with this. Listen, for those that, in which we have deep disagreements that are not followers of Jesus, Our aim is to build bridges for them to know Jesus by loving and serving them. Our job isn't to convert people. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job isn't to coerce or manipulate. We love and serve. 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 For those that we disagree that are followers of Jesus, we build bridges with humility and patience and we bear with each other in love. And so it's incredibly important that we begin to understand, listen, people have deeply held beliefs and oftentimes those beliefs come from really broken and wounded places. And the truth is, if we were all being honest, we've all had moments where we've believed things that are not true. You'd be a lifelong follower of Jesus. We get to do this regularly in our home where we find ourselves not operating according to the truth of God's word, but how we feel at times. And many people have beliefs and ways of thinking about life because of their broken experiences, ways that they've been wounded, and we want to come and build bridges. So here's the question. We'll finish with this. And David, you can come up and just play. 
So how do we build bridges? A couple things. Number one, listen, we just gotta pray. You wanna know how, if you wanna know how do I actually build bridges with people, it starts by just praying because God wants to give real time, insight, and wisdom. If you're in a moment where you're not sure what the right thing is to say next, we pray, we ask. We pray and get vision and compassion. If you've got someone that you're wrestling with some stuff about, maybe you've got someone that's in your family or someone that's a friend or maybe a coworker that you're contending with, or you're trying to understand, maybe you can't see eye to eye on something, pray, 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 pray. Number two, a great way to build bridges, we ask questions. We just ask questions. Listen, if you want to be like Jesus, just ask questions. That's Jesus asked. This is the most amazing thing about the Son of God. He asked questions. Woman, where are your accusers? Or will you give me a drink? Jesus asked questions to break down barriers all the time. If you want to learn how to break down barriers, let's ask questions. We could be just like him, walk with him. When we ask questions, we get to the deeper things. We get to those deeper places and we find the stuff. We don't have to be afraid of finding those places there where, where people are hurt or broken and we get to get into those things. And you know what the gospel does? The gospel speaks life to all of those things. And then finally, we'll finish with this. Listen, listen we've got to be a people who, if you want to build bridges, we bless and we rest. We, just, we bless and rest. What I mean by that is, listen, some of you need a nap. You're tired, okay? You've been carrying the weight of the world's chaos on your shoulders, okay? And in the words of my sister Elsa from Arendelle, let it go. <laughs> Just let it go. Now we can play some music, all right? God's not afraid of the chaos that's going on. He has precise wisdom and insight if we'll ask him. How do we build bridges with someone we couldn't, we couldn't be further apart in how we believe? We can have a shouting match. We can go to fisticuffs on all the things. We can go back and forth on social media and all that kind of stuff. Or we can say, God, would you show me what you see about this person in front of me? Would you let me see the person in front of me that I could not agree, disagree more with how do you see them? Help me love them. Help me care. Help me have compassion. God, show me how to build a bridge. I feel angry. I feel hurt. I feel like their position is off in left field. I think it's dangerous. I think it's painful. I think it's destructive. You may feel all of those things. Ask the question, oh God, how do you see them? Help me see them how you see them. Can we be a people who ask that we speak blessing? You got somebody that's ready to light you up with their hot political take? Let me give you Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Let's ask God for a kind response. If you've been, you, you might even be in a place where you're being attacked regularly. Let's be kind and ask God to break down wrath. We love and bless. If you've got somebody that deeply disagrees with you, let's build bridges. Maybe you're wondering, like, how is it even possible? Are these, these pie-in-the-sky words, or is this a possibility? Let me tell you, it's actually not just a possibility. This is a calling on each one of us, and I'll finish with this. In fact, you guys stand with me as we read this text. 
First Peter chapter two. I'm gonna finish with this. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. What does that look like? He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Here's the calling. We could spew venom and anger, or we can come before the Father just like Jesus and say, Lord, I'm entrusting myself to you. I have some... I have some deep convictions about many things. I got some, uh, listen, even me personally, I have deep political convictions, or I'd say uh, convictions that have political ramifications. But I don't ever want any of that in the ways that I think about this world around me. I don't want it ever to be, I don't want anything to ever speak above the voice of the Lord, to remember his heart, to remember how he treated people to remember his humility. God's gonna make everything right. So let's be a part of helping bring solutions, bring conversations, to bring unity among brothers and help build bridges for those that are far from God. Let's do that. Father, we're asking that you would cover us. We're asking right now that you give us strength and fortitude to love people well, to be patient, Lord, there are beliefs that we have that are rooted in you and truth that have significant ramifications. But God, I'm asking that you give us grace to love those who disagree. Would you help us to see what you see? Would you help us to speak words of life and bless? We thank you for this moment to center our lives. In fact, if you would, I just had a sense, if there's been a place where there's been a real struggle over an area of belief, and maybe yours is rooted in truth, and it feels dangerous, and you feel even worried or anxiety about, would you just invite the Lord? We're just gonna invite the Lord into that moment with us. Lord, we invite you now. There's a bunch of things going on around the, in the world around us. Lord, we want to have your heart. We want to hear what you have to say. Would you come and meet us in that place? We give our anxiety and our fears to you. The things that we're worried about. And we trust you. We thank you for meeting us. So have your way and help us see with your eyes. We love you and we bless you. This morning, we're going to have an opportunity. We'll have some prayer partners ready just to pray and connect with you. In fact, if you've had, maybe you've been um, wounded by someone who had disagreements with you. We'd love to pray with you into that. I also will pray with you about anything going on this morning, but we'd love just to be able to minister and connect. We're going to be able to pray over each other. I'm going to just speak a word of blessing over us as we go. You moms, be sure to grab your gift and take some photos on the way out. Love having you guys here with us. Let me pray this blessing over us as we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And I pray, Father, that this week we'd be on the forefront of being your heart, your hands and feet to the world around us. We thank you for leading us. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray all of these things. Amen.